This is Lauren Alexander, and you're listening to the Groove Lab Podcast. Hey, thanks so much for being here. This podcast is all about the people who make up the music industry. Today, I've got Grammy Award winner Tim Kimsey. He is a producer, an engineer, and just all around a super cool guy. And I feel very fortunate that he agreed to talk to me and be on the podcast. So let's get him on the phone. Lauren? Hello. Hi there. How are you? Hey, I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Good. So good to hear your voice. Oh, Oh my gosh. It's been a long time. It has. (laughs) It has indeed. (laughs) Well, how have you been? What's been going on? Well, I, you know, we're, we're dealing with all this mess, just like everybody else is. Uh, I've, uh, I've learned to, uh, conduct my business out of a 10 by 10, uh, a 10 foot by 10 foot square room. And I'm hoping to, uh, <laughs> I'm hoping to, uh, find some, some joy in some of this at some point, but, uh, I don't know. It, it just feels like this is so weird where we are with not being able to, you know, socially get to touch and and uh, say hi and hug and all that kind of good stuff. So, yeah, it's been a little weird. For sure. How about you guys? How, how are y'all doing? We're good. We're just, I mean, same thing, hanging in there. We've got, um, well, we're friends on Facebook, so I'm sure you've seen. We've got a uh, almost three-year-old now. Um, yes. so that has been fun and, but yeah, no, it's good. We're good. Excellent. Excellent. Well, uh, I know that you were going to ask me a few questions, but I'm kind of curious as to how all of this mess has like affected, how it's affected you, your family, you know, everybody. Yeah. I'm sure it's been pretty devastating it really has there were a few months there where we honestly didn't know how we were going to pay our rent we didn't know how we were gonna you know keep the lights on because Mm -hmm. I mean fortunately my husband he's a guitar technician and and a guitar builder and so fortunately there are still people that have money to spend on things like that um so it's just it's been hard it's hard whenever the majority of your income comes from playing live gigs and then yeah i mean and even then like you know we're not like living with lots of money you know no 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 no. i think (laughs) that's the you know i think that's the uh the confusion that takes place with a lot of folk is they think oh we can get into music business and we're gonna make tons of money and we're gonna do all this stuff and then when they start finding out, hey, this is like a bunch of hard work. <laughs> it, right. Uh, yeah, that changes everything really fast. It does. Really I think, fast. honestly, you do it because you love it, not because yeah. you're going to make a bunch of money off of it. And eventually you might. I mean, there are people that do. I'm happy to to make a living doing it. You know, I'm happy to be able to pay our bills with it. Um, but But, yeah, it's just been weird this past i guess has it almost been a year when did this start in like it march has, well we're three quarters of a year into it 
the only reason why I know this is because uh, I'm also a school teacher and we go by, by quarters. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so yeah, we're three quarters in, we're three quarters of the way in now. That's just nuts. That's crazy. It feels like it's been 10 years at the same time though. I feel like I've mm -hmm. aged a whole lot. <laughs> well, the one thing that I'm discovering, and of course I've been doing this for, you know, a long, long time. But the one thing that I'm discovering is that, yeah, it does. It messes with your, it messes with your emotions. It messes with your psyche. It messes with your uh, ability to make good decisions. Maybe <laughs> I don't know how to say it, but um, I've I've caught myself time and time again. It's like, uh, would you normally <laughs> make that decision? And the answer is usually no. Oh, for sure. <laughs> usually no. For sure. Well, it's really good to hear that you guys are, you know, uh, hanging in there, yeah. that you're uh, making ends meet. Uh, I think that's probably a fair assessment of what's going on. We're doing exactly the same thing here in the Kimsey household. Um, truth is, Lauren, is that um, production went to nothing. I mean, it literally went to nothing. Uh, around March of of uh, this year, right. February, March of this year, and um, yeah, we all had to start getting really pretty creative as to how we're going to go about doing this if we're going to if we're going to stay in the business right. at all. Right. Well, tell me, tell me about that. Tell me what's what have you been doing? Well, the truth is, is that uh, I've hunkered down uh, to to be an instructor. Um, that right now seems to be the one thing that is uh, still allowing us to keep going. When I say us, uh, meaning me, I guess. Yeah. Um, as a sixty-year-old recording engineer and producer. Um, I think it's fair to say that most folks are not uh, on the prowl for, um, you know, for old aging, <laughs> aging producers <laughs> or whatever. Um, but I think that there's a, I think there's a, a, a wonderful thing that uh, has happened, at least in my camp. And that is, is that I have a few colleagues who understand that uh, the age thing brings a, a, a quite a bit of experience along the way. Right. And um, what I'm trying to do right now is I'm trying to explain to the younger generations of upcoming producers, engineers, and folk coming through uh, our program there at the school is that uh, it's so much more than just the, the technical aspects, but the, uh, if you will, the um, uh, how do we say the mechanics of how things work? Uh, and so to answer your question, um, the school doing school work, being an instructor, being a lab instructor, someone who can go uh, sit in with students and be able to say, I wouldn't do that or I would do this. I would maybe think about this in a different way has been honest to goodness. It's been truly a blessing to be able to do that. Because, well, um, I'll say it like this. I think uh, as you and I know each other, you've always known me as maybe uh, like a, a live sound guy, someone who's 
been at the helm of a uh, mixing console for live events. And we both know that uh, that fell to the wayside very, very fast when, um, when the pandemic hit. It was like everything got shut down. Right. And so not to be overly long-winded about this, but uh, my respite, my, my saving grace was the fact that um, I have a, a, a school who believes in me and said, look, um, we still have to keep going. And we've got plenty of folk who want to know how this works. And so if you're on board with all of this, uh, we would love to have you continue with us and keep going. And um, um, I just got to tell you that it has been an absolute uh, blessing to be able to do that. Because I think otherwise, I think otherwise, um, I would be maybe driving a truck for Dr. Pepper or somebody that I really, really like. Right. <laughs> uh, but definitely would not be doing, uh, it definitely would not be doing uh, post-production or audio for, um, you know, for for visuals and stuff of that nature. Right. So you're teaching so, at um, Media Tech, right? That is correct. Okay. Yeah. Is it mostly like online stuff right now or what is it? What right is it now like? it is. We are. Well, great question. First of all, um, we are pushing for our students to show up at the school. Okay. Uh, the reason why we're doing that is because we have rooms available for these students to go in and get their work done and do it very, very well. Here's the dilemma is that not everyone is convinced that out into the world is a very good idea. I have students who, uh, let's say for example, uh, a male student <clears throat> might want to come to the school, but maybe they cannot because they have a wife at home that might be pregnant. And that being the case, that student is not gonna make their way to the, uh, to the school itself. Right. So to kind of answer your question, yes, we're doing everything online right now. It's kind of cool in, in certain regards to be able to uh, tell my students, hey, guys, we're going to take a look at this video. This is how it's done. Uh, you can double check me to make for sure that I'm telling you the truth about all the stuff that in, in some ways it's really good. In some ways it's really, really difficult yeah. because of exactly what we're we're all going through right now uh as you well know a lot of the studio experience is a hands-on you need to be you need to be able to not only put your hands on it but able to hear and see what it is that you're doing right. so again to kind of answer your question uh yeah it's been it's been different it's been very difficult in some areas but also kind of cool in others i <laughs> I, I've got a love-hate thing with this uh, virtual stuff. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm sure it was a huge adjustment. Like you said, it's not the norm. Um, and I know for me, like, I'm a hands-on type of learner. So I I don't know how these people are are learning through, I mean, are you doing Skype sessions or like? Yeah, so the way that we've been operating, well, first of all, let me back up and just say that my particular area of expertise uh, 
uh, is uh, 5.1 surround mixing for film. And so, you know, doing, um, doing a Google Classroom where everyone's involved with what's going on, they're watching the instructor go on. But the problem with all of that is, is that um, they're listening in mono with 5.1 surround sound. We need to be able to hear, you know, six channels of audio and where that's placed. And so, the, yes, that's become, um, I, I don't want to say it's a hurdle, but it's something that we have to overcome so that folks understand that, you know, 5.1 surround sound audio um, it's really cool in certain regards, but if you don't have an understanding of it and don't know uh, how that works, yeah, it can become uh, quite cumbersome and quite um, confusing. Yeah. Should we say? Yeah, I'm sure. Man. Well, I'd like to kind of back up and start at I. I know you through my dad, right? That's correct. How did yes. you guys meet? I, I don't know this story. You've just always kind of been there. <laughs> here's this guy over here that I met. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, so here's my version of it is that, uh, first of all, let me just say that um, I love your dad beyond words. Right. Your dad is a really good guy. For sure. Um, second of all, is that we met at a live performance. Uh, this is going years and years back. And for whatever reason, your dad decided that uh, maybe I should become a part of his world, his life. And so your dad reached out to me to see if I would be interested in uh, doing live sound for not only him, but for different venues in, um, in East Texas dealing with um, uh, some well-known artists. And the bottom line to it all is, is like uh, we had the equipment, we had everything that we needed, and your dad needed someone to kind of fill the gap. Your dad needed someone to uh, take hold of whatever the situation was and um, run the show. Okay. And so that's where you and I and your dad and many others, that's where we started to kind of uh, start to meet and have an, an understanding that uh, my role was to take care of my artist that I had in front of me. And that would include yourself. That would include so many artists in East Texas that would go through these different venues. And um, at the end of the day, uh, it really kind of came down to like-minded people working together. Gotcha. And uh, I, I, I hope that uh, I hope that this will actually make the edit. I, you just got to know, Lauren, that that I love your dad beyond words. Oh. He is an amazing individual. Really, really good guy. Really wow. good guy. He talks the same way about you. He was very excited that you were going to be on the podcast. So. I'm sure he's listening. Oh, I hope so. <laughs> um, well, cool. Okay. It's always weird. Like when you meet someone when you're younger through your, your parents mm -hmm. and then you just, they're just there. I don't know. I just didn't know the story. So it's good to know. No, it's, it, it's really a great story. Um, 
you know, I'm, I'm hoping Lauren, that I'm the parent to my kids that your dad was to you and your sister and, you know, just kind of moving through life, uh, in general, uh, I have these little checks and balances that every once in a while I have to go, well, you know, uh, uh, did I do this uh, very well? Maybe not. Maybe, you know, I, I think that you understand this too. You know, there's there's no uh, there's no reference manual to being a parent, right. and there's no reference manual to being, uh, you know, uh, a, a person that's going to take on responsibility and try to teach your kids <laughs> the, the differences between right and wrong. Exactly. But one of the things that not to be off on a tangent about any of this stuff, but one of the things that I, I definitely can say is that uh, from my perspective, when your dad approached me uh, to maybe come on board with him for live sound and doing uh, uh, shows and doing live sound and stuff of that nature, it really was kind of a no brainer because your dad and I, we are very much alike. We like a lot of the same things and we, uh, we, we definitely agree on so many aspects of uh, production. Wow, that's cool. Let's talk about, um, you have a podcast too, right? I do. I've, I've got a, a, a podcast that is called Audio Knuckle Busters. Audio Knuckle um, Busters. We like to call ourselves AKB, acronym of AKB. Okay. Uh, I must say that... Um, this is something else with the, you know, with the pandemic that has hit and everything. Uh, I'm not going to blame it all on the pandemic, but I got to tell you that I've, I've learned that, you know, if you're going to be a podcaster, you got to stick with it. You have got to stick in there. And um, I'm learning this kind of the hard way. What Audio Knucklebusters is all about is um, it's real people talking about real situations. It's not technical at all. It talks about life in the industry of being uh, in the music business and being a uh, producer, being a uh, recording engineer, just basically the stuff that we come upon. And like I said, not technical, yet at the same time, we talk about quite a bit about life uh, as a, you know, as a production person. And um, uh, involved with all of that, uh, I was blessed enough to be able to uh, have a female uh, producer slash engineer uh, be involved with us with this uh, audio knuckle busters that we've got going on. Well, that's that's cool. I was listening. Um, I was Internet stalking you to get ready for this interview. And so I was listening um, cool. to that. So, yeah, that's really cool. But I. I did not realize how much work would be would go into making a podcast. And I honestly, if I don't know how you even do it, like teaching and I mean, I'm I'm at home all day, you know, so I have I have time, but I still feel like I don't have time, you know, so that's pretty incredible that you're able to to balance all of that. Well, I appreciate you saying that. I, I don't think I'm doing a very good job <laughs> on the podcast side as you know. I mean, you, when when your attention is focused on one thing, usually the other things are going to fall to the wayside. Yeah. 
And quite honestly, that's kind of what has happened with AKB with audio knuckle busters is that our intentions are really, really good. And yeah, we're going to keep going with all of that stuff. But the one thing that I've noticed about me and I, I tell everybody who's a part of AKB, I go, guys, y'all are going to have to show me some grace and give me some, you know, cut me some slack on some of this stuff because <clears throat> I got to tell you, not always is my attention totally focused on, you know, the the podcast or or this or that. The other thing, and and honestly, I think that you could probably relate to this, Lauren, is that uh, I started noticing that after I would do a, a recording of the podcast, I would spend hours and hours and hours and hours on uh, post for the podcast. Mm-hmm. Well, that being said, um, we, I started realizing that it wasn't going to be, um, how do I say this? I wasn't going to be able to keep that going for long periods of time. Because in some cases, uh, some of these podcasts were, you know, three hours long, four hours long. Right. And then when you get into post on the stuff, a three or four hour podcast is going to require 20 to 30 hours of doing post production on stuff. Well, how do I say this where it makes sense? Um, If I need to be at work and making money, that's really hard to do when you're investing in something that (laughs) that is your baby. Yet at the same time, um, uh, you're not making income from that. (laughs) So my point is, is that um, I don't really feel I've done a, a, a very good job at getting my my podcast out, but. Along with that, my intentions are as as time moves on, we're we're gonna get there. We're yeah. totally gonna get there to where, um, you know, maybe instead of doing a three hour podcast, maybe we're gonna do a forty five minute podcast. Exactly, and that becomes much easier. Yes. yes, along the way. Yeah. So I too, even even though I think of myself as like this, you know, forty year veteran of doing post-production, doing production itself, so on and so forth, there's still a lot to, to learn um, as we move forward, <clears throat> meaning that, uh, you know, sometimes you got to shut the brain off and, and, and tell, tell yourself, look, I've got to get this done, and I've got a, I've got a deadline to, to, to meet. So stop all of the, uh, the extra thought process and get on with it. Get, get this thing going. <laughs> For sure. It is hard to turn that part of your brain off, though. Really hard. I mean, it, really hard. Especially if you're, which I'm not, like, I'm not a huge perfectionist by any means. Like, I'm pretty go with the flow, but I I feel like with you being in audio, I feel like, I mean, I can't imagine editing a three-hour podcast. Like, I, I don't know. <laughs> it is super, super silly, crazy, um, you know, because what I found myself doing and maybe you find yourself doing this too. Uh, I found myself taking out the ums and the ahs mm-hmm. and I, hey, we got to speed this thing up just a little bit. And so I, I was literally, I was driving myself nuts with trying to perfect it to a point. And then finally someone stepped in and they go, Tim, 
stop the stop the silliness. A podcast really should be just really natural. People, you know, sitting down having a conversation about what's going on in their world. And so that's kind of where I'm at now is that um it's not so you know, it's not so much about uh making it look and sound so professional as much as it is, look, we're all human beings. We all want to know what's going on with one another. We all want to know, um, you know, how, how's this person, how is this person dealing with the uh, stuff that we're all going through? Right. So to, not to be overly long-winded about this, Lauren, but I, I would say that it's, it's a learning process for all of us, Definitely. me included. Yeah. And my, you know, I've got a daughter here who, who, uh, 15 years old and she goes, dad, why, why are you walking around angry all the time? (laughs) (laughs) And I go, well, it's not so much that I'm angry as much as it is. Um, I need to, I need to, I, I, I guess what I need to figure out is how to manage my time a little bit better because I gotta tell you, uh, it's real easy in post-production to sit there and, and, spend hour after hour after hour and um uh, you know when it's all said and done i I, i'm not sure anyone's going to recognize or realize that you've spent you know 20 or 30 hours on something i I just don't know that they're going to realize that right and also people are not judging you as as hard as you're judging yourself and that has been something i've had to tell myself over and over again because i say stupid things especially Right now, I have not been getting much social interaction. So you kind of like forget how to have a conversation with people, if that makes sense. Sure. Like, it feels kind of unnatural to talk to someone yeah. outside of your circle. And so, yeah, yes. I just I feel like people are not going to judge you like you're judging yourself. Nobody cares if you say like and um. OK, some people might care, but, you know, well, I think it's really interesting that you uh, you put that out there like that because this is what I tell my students. Look, you guys, you as students, you're wanting to impress me. I don't know who you're trying to impress, but <laughs> you guys are bigger judges on yourself than I would ever be. And I, I, I absolutely tell my students, look, I'm not looking for perfection. I want you to take ownership of whatever it is that you're working on. Take ownership of that and make it yours. Um, who am I to sit there and say, hey, this is perfect? Uh, first of all, I don't believe in perfection. This kind of goes back to um, uh, some of uh, much smarter people than me that have, have put the comment out there. You know, if it's perfect, it's probably not of this world. <laughs> and so my point is, is that you know, I, I tell my students on a regular basis, and they have to be they have to be um, propped up sometimes. Uh, we all, as human beings, we need that interconnection, that uh, that uh, ability to communicate, to talk, to discuss all of these things. And that's the one thing that this pandemic has done to everybody is it's given us this distancing. And honest to God, honest to goodness, I really believe that. Um, this is what's making everything so incredibly weird for everybody is that, you know, if I, if, Lauren, if I was working with you, um, first of all, we're not going to be able to do 
some recording virtually. We're not going to be able to – you're not going to be uh, uh, able to be in East Texas recording um, and then for me to be in West Texas and have a any kind of an idea of what emotion that you have on your songs. Right. And this is what I'm telling my students. Listen, guys, I, I have no clue. I have absolutely zero idea what you personally are going through. I have no way of, of knowing that. And at the same time, you guys have no way of knowing what I'm going through. But here's the one thing that we can pull together on is that if we can arrive at a um, – how do I say this? If we can arrive at a meeting ground where we can have a discussion about the do's and the don'ts of production, um, is it going to be the same? No. But is it going to be better than not communicating at all? And the truth is, is that in my little world that I live in, it really kind of comes down to being able to uh, place a phone call, just like what we're doing right now. You and I both know this. We haven't spoken in a long time. Yeah. But right now, because of a phone conversation, just the simple fact that I know you and you know me, we're able to come to kind of pick up the pieces where where it left off maybe two or three, four years ago. Yeah. And just continue. And so. For me, um, that's the weird part of all of this is that I love the idea of one-on-one, -on -one, being in a discussion with the artist, being in a discussion with uh, maybe it's the producer. Um, I'm doing a lot of post-production now for, for film and TV, and um, it's imperative that you talk with the director so that they can show you their emotions about stuff. And this is, once again, this is the really hard part is because it's really hard to put that into words and, and have an expression in text. It's really hard to do that. Oh, yeah. So easy to misread or m misunderstand someone's point. So easy. I never understood it until texting came, came around, quite honestly, because... Once again, I'm old school, and it was usually it used to be, hey, if you wanted to communicate with somebody, you pick up the phone and you give them a call, and you could tell through the tone of their voice whether they were uh, up and excited about something, if they weren't, or whatever. Yeah. Texting changed all of that because, well, you can't really tell if someone's angry or you know super pissed off about something, or maybe they're happy about things. Texting changed all of that and so for me um, this is what i'm telling my students i'm going guys um, unless i hear from you uh, via a phone call or check this out a a uh, an email going look i i'm, I'm not going to be able to uh, participate in this or whatever i do not know what the temperature is of the moment I just don't know. And quite honestly, Lauren, for, for all of us, I think that's where <laughs> – this is the weird part for, for artists. It's a weird part for producers, for you know, for guys like me who are production folk. Um, 
we have to break this thing down to where we're communicating. Yeah. Quite honestly, it's kind of broken down to this. I saw the genie let out of the bottle well over 30 years ago talking about, um, you know, audio being recorded in a professional environment and being mixed in all of the things that we did with the audio. And then when the CD came around, that's when I considered the genie was kind of let out of the bottle. Well, from there, it's just uh, it, it's just uh, exploded from there with people, you know, doing really cool things along the way. Um, and then here we are, and all of a sudden we're all being told, "Hey, you can't you can't do this anymore." Um, so for me. What it did was um, it told me, look, if you're going to keep going and keep participating, which honestly, I don't have any other route to go. Right. I don't want to be a ditch digger. I don't want to be a uh, I don't want to be a, you know, a, a, a phone person. I don't want to really be a truck driver for Dr. Pepper. Uh, but. um if things keep going the way that they're going, which I don't think that they will, but if they keep going the way that they are, uh, I might have to start thinking about another gig right. all, all the way around. Well, that's kind of something and I wanted really to – Oh, you go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, I, that's something I kind of wanted to ask you about. You've been doing this for 40-something years, and I feel like you have – I mean, the way th that things are done have – continued to change over and over again and you've had to um keep just adjusting to the way yeah. to the way you do things and you know the way things are recorded and so it is kind of like you have to keep reinventing yourself and keep, I mean it's a good thing to keep learning but I mean it's also you know if you're a truck if you drive a trash Great. truck you don't have to, you know you don't have to keep reinventing yourself and keep adjusting you know what you know what you do every day so i was just curious about your experience with that okay so first of all great question um you kind of give me a little bit of some chill bumps when you ask that question <laughs> because um the reinventing part is happening more often than it ever has in the past it used to be, and, and, and believe it or not, this is actually a subject matter that uh, could be looked into, but it used to be uh, a couple of things. Number one, um, to reinvent oneself usually would happen about once every seven to eight years. Uh, and that, I mean, that's a pretty fair target window Hey, every seven years, uh, we'll call it the seven-year itch. You need to reinvent yourself. This is awesome. Okay, great. Well, that reinventing now has come down to about every. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say about every three to four years, and I think a, a portion of that has to do with the fact that technology keeps moving forward, and yeah, we have to keep up with, uh, with what's going on. So I'm going to come back at you and say, look, that's a great question. Um, how do you go about doing that? It's easier for me as a human being to uh, be able to follow along with the new upcoming things that are going on 
than it is to try to convince other upcoming engineers, producers, or people that are interested in production. It's easier for me to follow along the new changes than it would be for me to um, stay put, <laughs> um, stay put and go, this is the way that we're going to do it from now on. Trust me on this when I say, you know, there are plenty of engineers and producers out there that have their uh, their staple go to every time kind of thing. But the one thing that I'm learning is that there's never any given day that's exactly going to be the same way. And quite honestly, that's the reason why I'm in this business is because it's not. It's not cookie cutter. It's not the same thing day in and day out. Uh, as much as I would love for that to sometimes uh, be the case, you know, don't have to think about it. Uh, just go do your job and uh, come home and call it a day. Uh, there's parts of that that are interesting to me, but uh, not so interesting that uh, I want to give up my uh, that I want to give up my engineering gig. Definitely. I'll 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 definitely go through the hard times with the engineering gig. Uh, and sometimes not, you know, not knowing where the next dime's going to come from, I'll, I'll, I'll very easily go through that to have the freedom to be uh, creative and to be an artist uh, within my, you know, within my own right. Yeah. And, and, you know, for your listeners' sake, um, if I could be so bold to say this, um, <clears throat> you know, engineering and producing is an art form. It's being able to maybe sit down with the artist and find out what the artist's vision is and then to make that vision come to life with all of that. That's another thing that I'm, I'm learning is that it's not so much about uh, the mechanics. Um, it's not so much about how do I do this as much as it is about the communication and the human relationship and the human bonding that takes place between, you know, uh, individuals uh, along the way. And so to kind of, you know, put that whole thing to rest with, with the whole deal, um, if I'm being super honest about it, Lauren, I think a part of the thing that drives me is I'm scared. Yeah. <laughs> I'm scared to death that I'm going to miss something. I'm scared. It's it's not so much of I'm going to piss somebody off or I'm going to do a wrong move here or there or I did something wrong. The thing that scares me the most is that I'm going to lose my communication with other like-minded people. And that's the one thing that keeps driving me. Um, it's the one thing that keeps driving me to um, – how do I say this? When I think I'm ready to stop, it's the one thing that keeps – telling me, no, you're not done yet. You need to keep going. You need to keep going. Well, and that is so true. It is very scary that it would just be so easy to be just left behind. You know, if you don't adjust yeah. with the times and, you know, figure it out, like, you know what, there's somebody else right behind you that has figured this out. And that is, it is very scary. Yeah, I, I I don't think of it so much as hey, I don't want them to have it. Right. Uh, I obviously, you know, as a teacher, I do. I want I want everyone to get it. Right. But I think we both also understand that 
whether you're talking about music or if you're talking about production for a movie or whatever it might be, um, sometimes, you know, I, I, I can honestly say this as a, as a recording engineer, as a uh, editor, as someone who's doing sound design and, and so on and so forth. Sometimes you miss the mark. Sometimes you miss the boat. And it requires uh, a discussion with the artist. Sometimes it requires a discussion, in my case, uh, with the producer themselves who's responsible for the project and kind of go, okay, so explain to me one more time uh, what it is that we're going for and how is it that I can, uh, you know, help in this area. And again, this is a huge thing for students coming up through uh, through the ranks, if you will. Sometimes it's really hard to be, um, uh, how do we say, positive. Yeah, have a positive outlook on things when we know that, um, uh, you know, we may be locked down for another, I don't know, two or three, four, five months. Yeah. I don't know. Yet I've got students going, I'm ready to go do this. As soon as I get out of school, I want to go, <clears throat> I want to go invest myself in this. So uh, I guess where I'm going with all of it is that um, I like to think of everything that I'm doing is with intent, with purpose, even though sometimes it seems like it's really cookie cutter and I'm just doing the same thing over and over and over. Um, I know in the back of my mind, it's going to serve a purpose and it's, it's going to be better. Um, it's going to be better in the end. If I, if I will just keep putting that, that foot forward every day, moving, moving into production. Yeah, that's true. I mean, you just have to keep going. We do. We, uh, I think it's fair to say I've run into several individuals I don't care about all that much. You know, they, they're just not somebody I like <laughs> and they probably don't like me, but at the end of the day, I got to take that and put it to the wayside and go, I'm, I'm going to give them my best because right. uh, I, I, you know, I, I know that you know this as an artist, your husband knows this as a, as an artist. I think everybody who is in my immediate circle, we all understand this, that um, even when we don't feel like it, it's in our best interest to keep moving forward and putting, giving our best towards um, whatever the situation might be. Why? Well, because we have reputations and we have things that, um, that we need to protect. And again, this is something I tell my students. I've got I've got students that are 18 years old, 19 years old, and they think it's all, um, hopefully you'll allow me to cuss for just a second. Yeah, yeah. They think it's all shits and giggles for, <laughs> for a hot minute. Hey, this is fun. Well, um, it is until you turn this into a professional thing where you've got folks looking at you um, on the professional level, and sometimes that's really difficult to – to go, yeah, I'm I'm gonna give my best today. Sometimes you don't feel like it. Right. Sometimes you feel like, sometimes you feel like just staying in bed. Yeah. And you know, so I, I guess my point is, Lauren, is that uh, you're a seasoned veteran when it comes to the, you know, to the uh, 
performance side of things. There's times when you don't feel like getting up on that stage. There are times when you don't feel like performing. And so for me as a uh, as an audio guy, I got to tell you, I never signed up to be uh, uh, an instructor per se. But for for me on any given day, it feels like I'm doing a performance. Yeah. And there's days I don't feel like doing that. <laughs> <laughs> but I've got to suck it up. And, you know, it's like, guys, uh, I feel like crap today. And I don't feel like teaching, but guess what? I'm going to do it. Why? Because you you guys need that information. You need to have an experience. And so we're just going to make it happen. We're just going to make it happen. When it's kind of like um, working out too, like you always feel better when it's, when you're done and you, you gave it your best. <laughs> it is. It is. Well, I'd love to hear about, um, I know you've worked with a lot of people, a lot of well-known people. Um, I'd love to hear maybe some stories that you have. Um, just, I'd love to know what, what that was like. Um, very, okay. So stories about well-known artists. All right. So you've got some really cool people mm-hmm. <laughs> and then you've got some really not so cool people. <laughs> Um, without, you know, without pointing out, uh, names or anything of that nature, here's what I can tell you. Um, probably my big, my biggest first go around with a really well-known artist. Um, I was not prepared for that. It just kind of happened. Uh, some would say luck. Um, but I don't believe in luck. I believe in being luck. Luck to me is being prepared to take advantage of the situation when it arises. So in a nutshell, that's what luck is. Um, So I I, I definitely was that. I was definitely prepared for that. But the person that I'm I'm, I'm speaking of is a guy by the name of Vanilla Ice. Uh, I didn't know who this guy was. And quite honestly, I didn't really believe in what he was doing. (laughs) Uh, You've got to kind of think back. This was in 1990. Um, I was as a, you know, individual, I was listening to other things than rap. That's for sure. Right. Um, but I also kind of knew that this was probably going to be something that was going to stick around for a while. The short of the long is, is that, um, that's for me really is where the, the, it all started was the recognition that as a recording engineer or as a production person, um, there is a possibility that if you get in at the ground level, you might could be included in on a point spread or, you know, getting residuals coming to you on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. Well, I turned all that stuff down because uh, the truth is I needed a paycheck. I needed to get paid for the week. And so I turned all that stuff down and, you know, hindsight being what it is, uh, I might have been better off had I taken the points and, and gone that route. Um, but we're not going to cry over all <laughs> any of that. Um, what that actually allowed me to do was um, the record company that was responsible uh, for Vanilla Ice, they threw, um, threw me several other opportunities to get involved uh, doing 
uh, record production. Now, all of that stuff led to eventually word of mouth, producers talking with other producers. And quite honestly, Lauren, I think of engineering as almost like being a baseball player. Um, here in the state of Texas, we um, we have the it's a right to work state. So there's no really a need for me to join like a union or something of that nature. Uh, my living has been based off of word of mouth, producer talking to another producer, uh, people talking to people, uh, had to give this guy a shot, see what you think, so on and so forth. So it's always been in my best interest to be on my best behavior, first of all. But second of all, um, to, um, how do I say this? To open myself up to where I'm hearing exactly what my role needs to be for whatever the project might need to be. And here's the example. So my role on Vanilla Ice, on the Ice Ice Baby, it's very, very different than what it was, say, on another record, uh, that my a heavy metal record. My role on the heavy metal record was not only an engineer, but it was co-producing along with the, the main producer. And where I'm going with all of this is that um, day in and day out, my role kind of changes. It, it shifts from one place to another. And I'm super happy with that uh, because uh, it it really kind of sharpens my skill set, not only as a producer, uh, as an engineer. Uh, in some ways, it actually sharpens my skills to be a, a writer, a songwriter in certain ways. It allows me to kind of go, hmm, I wouldn't do it that way, but I might do it this other way. And once again, you know, kind of being in the middle of all of that, it allows uh, someone like me to go, I like how they're doing this. I don't like how they're doing that. And then for me to form my own, um, uh, I don't know what the word would be, but uh, it would allow me to form my own ways of creating. Now, that being said, yes, a lot of people well-known, uh, and as I said, some are just you know, I'll take it to the grave. Uh, I'll take it to the grave that they were amazing human beings. We got to hang. We got to do lots of really cool stuff. And then there are other individuals where it's like, mm, I was asked if I would uh, be interested uh, in participating in a really, 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 really big record. And my answer was uh, no. I'm not, <laughs> I, I don't really want to do that. And the reasons why? Uh, I did not tell that individual at the time the reasons why, but the truth is, is that I don't want to deal with the freaking drama yeah. that goes on um, in, with the band members and so on and so forth. At the end of the day, I'm a real uh, laid back, easygoing guy. I just want everybody to love on one another. I understand that there's going to be conflict, uh, especially if we're talking about music and someone um, has got a very strong opinion about something, all right, let's sit down and talk about it. But there's a big difference between that and and actually someone being, pardon my pun, being an asshole in the middle of a session uh, where we're not getting any, anything accomplished. So what I'm saying is that 
most of the big artists that I've ever worked with, they have been uh, nothing but like, oh my gosh, I wish I could do this every day. I wish I could be here helping this person every day. But then I've had those sessions where uh, well-known artists really truly being a butt about something that's like, you know what? No wonder, no wonder nobody wants to work with this person because they're being an asshole and they don't want to, you know, it's going to be their way or the highway. Right. Well, guess what? I'm to that age now to where it's like, I'm not your guy. I'm just not the guy who needs to be dealing with this. No, I'm sure that's <clears> I'd much rather be fishing. Yeah. <laughs> I'd much rather be out fishing, you know, enjoying myself than dealing with that crap. Oh, wow. Yeah, I can't imagine. So I know you worked with Pantera. I did. Yeah. We had a good seven, seven month run. Um, tell me about that. Were you friends with those guys? What was that like? Well, um, really good story about with all of that as well. Um, I met their dad. I met the Abbott brothers dad before I ever met either one of, uh, the, um, uh, Abbott brothers. Um, their dad is a uh, well-known, well-respected recording engineer producer himself. And their dad actually lived here in the Metroplex for years and years and years as uh, uh, Benny Paul and Daryl were growing up um, in the Arlington area of Metroplex here in Texas. Um, so I met him first, and he was very anxious to introduce me to his sons, Vinnie Paul and, and Daryl. Uh, here was the thing was that I was considerably older than uh, either one of them. I was closer to their dad's age than I was their age. But that being said, I also had been to several uh, shows that Pantera had performed. Uh, now, granted, this was like in the late 80s, early 90s. Um, the Abbott brothers, everybody in that band, being somewhere between five and ten years younger than me, um, it was basically, um, for me, I, I, I could go to Six Flags Over Texas and actually see Pantera perform at Six Flags Over Texas. Oh, wow. <laughs> now, I was kind of a fish out of water back then because I was older than most of your average uh, goers to a gig like that. But little did I know that years later that we would all come together as maybe one of the heaviest uh, metal records, especially for the 90s, that would ever hit the hit the market. And, of course, that record was uh, far beyond driven. And that is, honest to goodness, that's where I met uh, Vinnie Paul and Daryl Abbott of Pantera, as well as the rest of the band. Now, that having been said, uh, we were, um, I'll say it like this, we were a very well-oiled machine. My role, along with uh, a colleague of mine by the name of Sterling Winfield, we were the, uh, the go-to guys that represented the facility, the recording studio itself. We had a uh, producer by the name of Terry Date. Uh, who hails from uh, Seattle, Washington. This guy 
uh, for any of your listeners, anybody who's curious about that, they need to go look up Terry Date, look up his name. Uh, his accolades are just huge. Well, this was the turning point for me to absolutely understand um, the ins and outs of metal music record production. Are we going to be successful every day? Most likely not. Uh, are we going to get stuff accomplished? Yep, we're going to do that, and we're going to have fun doing it along the way. And quite honestly, Lauren, I got to tell you, that's probably where I established my attitude about, look, if I ain't having fun, then I might as well just not do it. I like having fun. And I think most artists and most, uh, you know, most people in production, uh, if we ain't having fun, there's not really a, a reason to keep going. Right. There's just not. Uh, you know, so it, it comes down to were we enjoying a, a, each other without question. Uh, the Far Beyond Driven record done in 1993-94, that's when that record was actually uh, recorded. There was not a day that went by that we did not have a dadgone blast. We absolutely adored one another. We loved being at the recording facility. We loved being rubbing elbows with one another. Was there work to be done? Without question. We had a ton of work to do. But it was such a joy to get to walk in and it's like, hey, man. Good. I'm so glad that you're here today. What are we doing? And we would get started. And again, I got to come back to Terry Day, somebody like that. He was, um, I've expressed it like this. He was kind of the um, the mother hen of everybody. He was the one guy who kept everybody on point. Now, it's no big secret that, you know, uh, Pantera loves to party. They love doing all kinds of stuff drinking and smoking and doing all kinds of a party but i can tell you this um we worked really really hard and we played really really hard um it was all for one and one for all i feel extremely fortunate that i was a part of the production part of this but the way that it was expressed to us um, and it was really not that big of a deal, very nonchalantly. Dimebag would walk through and go, hey, we're going to go down here real quick. You in or out? And your answer damn well better be I'm in <laughs> because uh, they were going to go anyway. And the, w the way that it all kind of seemed to work, like I said, was kind of like the three musketeers, all for one, one for all. So if they – if if the band was going to go somewhere, maybe it was to see a, someone else do a performance somewhere. Maybe it was to, uh, I don't know quite how to say this. Maybe it was to an, an adult establishment of somewhere, uh, of which these guys are well known to do. Um, you probably wanted to be a part of that. And I'll, I'll even go as far back as saying, even back then, I was a married man. My first child was on its way, um, and yet I was being summoned to go to these places that where I wasn't real sure if that was going to be a good thing or a bad thing. And so I got with Terry Day, and I said, hey, Terry, I noticed 
we always go to these venues. We always go to these events that somebody suggests that we go to. But when we get there, you, I, I can't find you. Where are you? Where are you going to? And he goes, man, I get in a corner and I suggest that you do the same thing. <laughs> I went, okay. Oh my so gosh. I learned, I learned from the, I learned from the master that sometimes, you know, um, you can still be a part of, but yeah, get in a corner. Why? Well, because cameras are rolling. You don't, you don't want to find yourself in an awkward position, so on and so forth. Oh my God. Now, the flip side to all of that is, is I've had sessions with extremely well-known artists too that were just total, you know, they were just total jerks. Yeah. And um, I could not get that artist out of the studio fast enough. But here was the weird thing about all of that. I'm still going to treat that artist as though um, they're the flavor of the year, the flavor of the day, the flavor of the month, whatever it might be, because I really feel like uh, it's it's not to get on their good side or get them to be less of a jerk or anything of that nature, but I really feel like if they understand that I'm on their side, that I'm pulling for them, I rely on them to do really well just like they rely on me to do really well with what I'm doing, then it's an even playing field. Yeah. And maybe sometimes the jerkiness uh, can be uh, pulled from the conversation. You might be wondering what I'm talking about. Well, um, I'll just say that I did a session, once again, this is back in the 90s. It was a heavy metal session. Uh, it was a extremely well-known drummer who walked in on the session. I was going to be in session with this guy for about a week, for about seven days. And uh, the first thing that was, there were no pleasantries exchanged when this particular drummer walked his way into the control room. He was basically down to business. And it wasn't any, hi, how you doing? Good to be here. Nice to see you. Nice to meet you. It was none of that. It was basically walked in, all right, no EQ, no gating, nothing being done to my drum kit. Do you understand what I'm saying? Oh, my God. Uh, yeah, I understand exactly <laughs> what you're saying. And, of course, I'm thinking to myself, you can say this all you want to, but at the end of the day, my job does not rely on what you're telling me that you want me to do. My job at the end of the day is to make this record the best that I can make this record. So what I wound up having to do in that situation was say, I hear exactly what you're saying, but I'm going to tell you so that you don't get upset with me a little bit later on. I already have nine songs on this record, and my job right now is to match what you're doing <laughs> on this one song that you're doing. Uh, my job right now is to match this with the rest of the album, and by God, that's exactly what I'm going to do. I don't care what your personal feelings are right now. My job is to make for sure this this record is complete and it is the best that it can be. So all of that to say that once I got my point across to that particular person, um, the respect started coming. And the respect started coming from that other individual. Once they understood that I wasn't going to take crap off of them, and that I was going to stand up for what I was there for, they understood that, hmm, 
maybe this guy can be trusted. <laughs> so that's kind of that's kind of a story when it when it comes to like a really well known artist and so on and so forth. Here's what I can tell you, Lauren: ninety nine point nine percent of well known artists are incredible. They are incredible human beings. They get it. They put their pants on just like everybody else does, and they understand that. They have emotions just like you and I do. They uh, have a say just like you and I do. And guess what? Um, those who are super, super, super cool in the studio, they understand that they uh, might be here today. And they could be gone tomorrow. Yeah. And that's really kind of what it comes down to. The industry as a whole doesn't really care. The industry as a whole is going to keep going. And that's what I find about, uh, so interesting about our conversation. I know it's been really pretty one-sided on my part. But at the conversation piece, when people start understanding that we rely on one another uh, to make a go at this and for things to be better than what they could be uh, as individuals. And once again, this is something I, I wrestle with on a daily basis. We do, as society, we do so much better being able to communicate with one another, literally getting to be in the presence of one another. Uh, as silly as this might sound, even doing a fist bump sometimes can make the difference of connecting and not making the connection at all. I have really enjoyed hearing you talk about all of this stuff. Yeah, I know our time is, uh, I've gone really long with you. No, I, I appreciate it. I think it's so cool. I, I'm just so, and I, you know, your dad and I, we don't get a, a, enough opportunities to get to hang. And once again, I just, I admire your dad tremendously. Um, we, we don't get enough of a chance to, to talk, but you also need to know this, that I admire you uh, from, from the distance that we are. I admire you. Why? Well, because I've watched you run the race. I've watched you do things that for a lot of people, they would have said, this is too hard. Um, I'm not in. I'm not in on this. Yet here we all are. And we're continuing to put that foot in front of, you know, the one step in front of the other. And I honestly, I think that's what it that's what it takes. It, it, it takes a mindset to be able to uh, to move forward. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> um, I am going to let you go eventually, but tell me about your Grammy. Okay. Well, the Grammy um, was established. I was a part of a um, production team. The short of the long is, is that I came in after um, several months of, of uh, production recording. Let me back up just a little bit. So first of all, the Grammy is for um, a record called The New Nation, um, The New Nation by Kirk Franklin. And it's a gospel, it's a gospel uh, record that was done back in 97-98. And again, just like what I've been so long-winded about, I I got involved with that record because 
um, not because I knew that it was going to be a, a Grammy award winner or that it was going to be all these accolades or anything of that nature. I got involved with that record because I was asked to. Um, it was a really uh, sweet and simple question. Um, I got a phone call. It was on a Friday Friday afternoon, much like today. Um, I was in traffic. I was driving home, and I got a phone call from the manager of Kirk Franklin, personal manager, and basically it kind of went down like this. Um, we've lost our, our head engineer uh, for reasons that I cannot disclose at the moment. Uh, but we've had our eye on you for quite some time. Now, to kind of give you a perspective on this, I was working on another record in the same building, same uh, recording studio, but just in a different studio. Um, and so Kurt Franklin's management had been watching me from a distance for, uh, honestly, a couple of months, a few months. And so when the head engineer um, went a different direction, I got the phone call to step into all of that. Little did I know that <laughs> before it was all said and done, there would be somewhere between 15, 13 and 15 different engineers that would have touched this project, that wow. touched this record. Yeah, so um, to kind of sum it all up, uh, I, I I was able to get the phone call um, from management, basically saying, "Look, it, it's time for us to wrap this record up. Uh, are you going to be able to, you know, are you going to be able to go to Los Angeles for a while?" And of course, even back then, I had other people that I needed to answer to. I had people who was, you know, uh, I needed to give them an answer as to whether I was going to be in town or in, in the state, so on and so forth. So my question back to the management was, how long are we going to be in Los Angeles? And uh, I heard this really big sigh on the other end of the phone. And it's like, look, man, I just need to hear from you right now. I don't have a good answer for you. I don't know how long you're going to be in Los Angeles. All I need to hear from you right now at this moment is are you going to be in Los Angeles on Monday morning? And I said, well, yeah, of course I'm going to be in Los Angeles on Monday morning. Now, I just need to find out so that I can tell other people, when are we coming back so that, I, you know, so that um, I, I've got an answer for, for some folks? Well, the, the, the truth of it is no one really knew how long that was going to take. Um, it came down to I was in Los Angeles for right at a month. Uh, and it was finishing out the mixing of, of that record, of the New Nation record. Now, a part of this was, and you got to think of it like this. We're not talking small budgets here. We're talking a million-dollar budget for one record, which is unheard of today. I mean, we just don't hear of these recordings being done for a million bucks. That's not done. Uh, now, Again, this is we're talking full analog recording, two-inch recording. Um, we're not talking Pro Tools. We're not talking getting anything done fast at all. Um, so I was out there for you know for a while, and when it was all said and done, what I found out a little bit later on, I was one of 
five different engineers that was mixing that record. Now, what got me in, invited to the Grammys and, and with all the accolades and all of that was the simple fact that somewhere along the way, we had been nominated as Best Engineered Record, as well as Best Gospel Album for the year of 1998. So that that just changed everything. That just changed everything as far as how um, maybe I was looked at as a as a recording engineer and so on. And what I'm about to tell you is uh, maybe it didn't go exactly the way that you would think that it was going to go. I had plenty of folk calling me up going, dude, you, this is going to be a life-changing event for you. Um, you're not ever going to ever, ever, ever have to worry about work ever again. Your name is plastered all over the place as being the guy. Well, Lauren, I got to tell you, you know, it's always a two-way street. Um, it could have gone that way. It could have gone to where I'd never ask for another record ever again. Or it could have gone the other way, which it did, <laughs> which the other way was, um, and I'm, I'm, I'm not super proud of this, but the other way was I did not receive phone calls uh, to work on anybody's record for the next year and a half. Oh, wow. So for your listeners, you need to think about that for a second. Uh, it could have gone one of two ways, and it went the way that I really had hoped it would not have gone, which was, and I'm not real sure why that was. Um, I th my, my personal thoughts was that um, my uh, the people who would have been calling me to do records for them, they knew that I was involved with uh, the New Nation record, and so it was like mm, he's he's occupied, so we might as well not even bother giving them a phone call. But then there's another thought process which could be. Oh, he's big time now, so he's going to cost X amount more than what he normally would be. And kind of where I'm going with all of this is, is that folk need to understand. Uh, producers, engineers, anybody who's involved with the process, we're all the same. We still need to make a living. We still need to uh, feel needed and wanted and, you know, all of the things that uh, make us um, – <laughs> make us desirable to, uh, you know, to keep around, so right. on and so forth. So the short of the long with the Grammy is it was a curse and a blessing all at the same time. Uh, I'm I'm super proud of the fact that, uh, you know, uh, I, w I got that award, that I was a part of that. But at the end of the day, it's not about the accolades. I have a very good friend by the name of Sterling Winfield. Sterling worked on the Pantera record with me. Um, or I worked with him on the Pantera record. Uh, we were inseparable at, for long periods of times. So we were just two peas in a pod. We thought a lot. We worked very much in sync with one another. And Sterling said something that I just went, that is perfect. And that is, he goes, you know, you can take all your accolades, all your awards, all that stuff. You've got them up on the wall and you can like look at them and be proud of them and all that kind of good stuff. But at the end of the day, those awards, they ain't going to love you back, and they ain't going to pay the bills. <laughs> wow. And so that has stuck with me ever since. 
Uh, yeah, it's 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 wonderful to be acknowledged, uh, to you know, to be appreciated. Absolutely, but I think for folk like yourself, myself, I don't think that that's the reason why we're doing this. Uh, I'm I'm certainly not uh, I'm I'm certainly not you know doing engineering for uh, for a, a gold record or a platinum record. That stuff is great, but first of all, those are farther and fewer between. And then second of all, um, those things, they ain't gonna, they're not gonna pay my light bill. Right. They're not gonna take care of that. It's gonna be down in the trench work. You know, it's the hard stuff that people don't really want to recognize. Um, they, uh, how do I say this? And I don't, I don't mean to be a negative person about any of this, but your average person does not realize the effort and energy and amount of time that went into making something presentable for others to appreciate and have have an appreciation for yeah. but um yeah on the grammy side of things i love it but i've got mixed emotions about it wow what a story man uh it's crazy That's, that it's is absolutely crazy. crazy wow well um Okay, I've kept you on the phone for an hour and a half, but I have one last question for you. Um, yes, ma'am. I saw you're the owner of Clockwork Forensic Services. What is that? Tell yes, me about that. All right. So this was Clockwork Forensic Services is another side caveat of what I do. Um, <clears throat> Clockwork originated from the desire to want me personally wanting to be um, involved with forensic audio. Now, forensic audio is by far uh, so different from what we know as artists and music producers, engineers, and stuff of that nature. It's really, really scientific. Um, but part of that was, um, a few years back, I started thinking about this, that uh, if, let's, let's say it like this, if my hearing went to, uh, went to almost nothing, if I lost my hearing uh, tomorrow, I needed to have the capability of maybe falling back on something else that is somewhat scientific, somewhat still dealing with audio, um, and get involved with that. And be able to actually, you know, provide for my family and myself. That's very smart. Okay, so let's fast forward just a little bit. So what I started, I started looking into this. I have a colleague that uh, also is a, a musician. He's a very, very good guitarist, um, well-respected, loved this guy to death. And he goes, hey, man, I, if I were you, I would start looking into forensic audio. You'd be a perfect candidate for all of this. Okay, so I did. Well, what I started discovering is that it is nothing, absolutely nothing, like recording for a record or for movies or anything of that nature. It is extremely scientific. It's all about proving the science. Now, this uh, is excellent in my humble opinion. I love doing all that stuff, but um, there is no, absolutely zero creativity in this whatsoever. It's a lot of uh, comparison. 
and it's a lot of going back and forth. And um, I'm, gosh, I'll say it like this. I discovered very quickly that I probably, uh, a, a, as much as I know about forensic audio, um, it's probably not something I'm going to be doing anytime soon. Um, I'll, I'll say it like this. It's something that I will do if all the wheels fall off and I can't do music anymore, then yes, I'll go to forensic audio, but no, I don't. <laughs> uh, there, there's nothing, there's nothing about that that I enjoy at all. Nothing about it. Well, can you uh, give like a description good- of forensic audio? I mean, I watch like forensic files. What is forensic audio? Okay. Let me, let me give you an example. Um, so let's say, um, let's say you've got good guy, bad guy, and uh, let's see how can I set this up. Let's say you have an undercover uh, police officer who is out in the task force trying to bust drug dealers. So let's say that uh, police officer. Uh, actually is capturing some audio on his phone of the drug deal that's about to go down. So that police officer can hand over that audio to someone like me and go, hey, this is this individual. We know this because I was there and I know that it was this individual. And so I need for you, Tim Kimsey, to establish from the recording that I've handed you and another recording that is considered an a quote-unquote unknown, can you do a voice comparison for us? And can you tell us if this is the same person? So it, it, it gets really interesting really fast. So here's where I'm going with all of this, Lauren, is that when I stepped into the forensic audio thing, my mentor uh, is up in New York. He is the guy who told our federal government, yes, this is uh, Osama bin Laden. That is his voice right there. My mentor is the guy who was telling our government. Oh, my gosh. He was the guy. He he was that guy. Wow. So what he told us or what he told me was, look. This is great that you know all this stuff about music production, so on and so forth. Um, that's awesome. You can take all of that info and put it over here to the wayside. What we're doing right now is we are proving guilt or innocence. And people's lives really rely upon your um, ability to prove innocence or guilt. Now, let's, let's take that recording. So if you've got a police officer, he's got a recording, maybe he was sitting in that person's car as they're talking about drug deals and so on and so forth. That is called a known. That is, the subject matter is known. As a forensic expert, if I have another recording, that could be labeled up as unknown. I have um, software that is not from this part of the world. We'll just say it like that. I have, um, I have, yeah, it's it's audio uh, DOS. It's uh, basically a program that will do a voice comparison. 
and it deals with frequencies and how people form their vowels and their consonants in the words. And check this out. In forensic audio, the failure rate of being able to identify a human voice, uh, let's say my voice, for example, the failure rate is like almost nothing. Really? It is so incredibly accurate. Incredibly accurate. So forensic audio is literally coming down to proving innocence and guilt. And it's hugely uh, accepted, especially here in this country. Uh, we have, I'm known as what is known as a expert witness in forensic audio. And I've got plenty of colleagues out there that do like, oh gosh, huge, huge um, I can't call them sessions, but they do these huge files. They do these huge, uh, I don't know what you would call them, these huge uh, court, court sessions, yeah. And they are the lifeline. They are the one person who can, uh, you know, I say they. We are the one person that can uh, distinct whether that person is guilty or innocent. Wow. Well, that's very cool. I think stuff like that is super interesting. It's really interesting. The the thing that uh, someone has to ask themselves is, you know, can you emotionally keep up with it? Yeah. And I think that was the other part for me was that um, my very first court case was a civil case. It dealt with a mom and a dad fighting over custody. And man, that's, you know, that's really hard. That's hard strings being yanked all different kinds of directions. Mm -hmm. um, and yes, I can still do the forensic audio stuff. Maybe maybe on a criminal criminal case or something like that, that might be a, a different thing. But here's the thing that I wasn't really prepared for is that emotional side of it. Is here you are an expert witness in a court of law. You can't lie. You can't perjure. You can't do this. You can't do that. And all of a sudden, you're looking at these individuals who are literally fighting uh, amongst themselves for, you know, for something that, honestly, in my opinion, should be both of theirs. Yeah. So, yeah, it gets kind of crazy. Wow. It gets kind of Well, thanks for telling me about that. I saw that on your website, and I just thought that was just super cool. Yeah, I, you know, like I said, I think I could go back to it if push comes to shove. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if we're all told, hey, you know, uh, Lauren can't perform anymore. Well, okay, what about everybody else? No, nobody else can perform anymore either. Okay, well, guess where I'm going? I'll go to forensic audio. Hey, <laughs> I mean, listen, but, the criminals are not going to stop for sure. So <laughs> you no, always have work no, there. We both know that. <laughs> oh, my That's gosh. exactly right. Well, Tim, thank you so much for being on my podcast. You are the best, and I have really enjoyed our conversation. It is great talking to you, Lauren. If you'd like to get more info on Tim, go to his website, timkimsey.com. Thank you for tuning in to Groove Lab. I'm hoping that everyone will get a little something out of this conversation that I've had. Stay cool, stay well, stay protected. We'll see you guys soon.
Thanks for tuning in, everyone. I know this was kind of a long episode, but I just, I edited out as much as I could, but I didn't want to take away from um, mine and Tim's conversation. He's so cool, right? Anyway, we are coming up on the end of the year, and I think I'm going to end season one with 2020 and start back up with season two sometime next year. That being said, I do have a couple of spots open um, to finish out the year, a couple interviews. So if you would like to be interviewed, reach out and let me know. Or if you know of somebody who um, you'd like me to chat with, just let me know. I hope you all have a great Thanksgiving and stay safe. This is such a weird year which is no news to anyone, but um, I just hope everyone can stay safe while still enjoying the holiday. I'll see you guys back here next week with an interview from Anna Christina Cash. Stay groovy.